Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. But for the ghosts. Oh, that was so that was so gentle upon my ears. <laughs> I already killed your ears once in the last five minutes just I by existing. So. <laughs> I can't see you. Sorry, listener. I have to, I have to, I have to move my entire setup because I can't see Christina because my computer is like... And also because Christina's hiding in the corner to avoid sunlight because... No, it's okay. I, um, I had set up my computer closer to me because I thought you were going to use the microphone on the table there, but you didn't. Oh, no, I don't anymore. I it's now am exclusively a lounging podcaster. Yeah, Christina just now podcasts with the microphone <laughs> on her on her lap in yeah. our, here in our summer studio. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome, everyone. We're so excited to be back for an all-new season. Uh, last week was, was sort of a doozy. It was good to get feedback from that episode from all of you, and we're so excited to continue this journey um before we do i'd be remiss to say if you want to help the new york mystery machine continue this beautiful season this wonderful season season. all you gotta do is head on over to patreon.com slash ny mystery machine and for the low 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 price of three dollars a month you can have the pod keep going and for the low 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 price of five dollars a month you can help the pod keep going and also um get a bonus exclusive every month every month uh, and the exclusives are coming back. We have a we have a new one dropping one. soon. Yep. So um, for our patrons out there, so if you uh, if you join the Patreon, you'll start getting access to that. And there's some also other cool stuff uh, in in the mix as well. Um, so you know, join the Patreon and um, get some cool stuff. Stuff. Uh, <laughs> Right. That's yeah. That's that's the gist. Give us give us some money. We give you a thing. <laughs> we give you a thing. Uh, but we do have some cool stuff happening this year. You know, we we mentioned on the finale episode things you want to get into, like live episodes. Um, so we're really working on uh, we're working on a live episode, uh, an in person gathering ah! in New York, someplace in New York City proper. Um, and we're working the we're, we're ironing out those details. And so if you want to be part. Of that, um, Patreon's the first place you're going to find yeah. out about it. Um, and but we will have information on that by you know in the next few months. That's as you roll over. We're looking to doing a, a really cool session someplace in New York City. So if you're in New York City, um, you can come visit us. And if you're not in New York City but you love the pod, you have a reason. To, you have a, you have a reason to come to New York City. Like there you go. Look at that. You're like, oh, I'll take a little weekend getaway. Yeah. To see the old New York Mystery Machine crew. And uh, yeah, so that's lovely. That. Um, you know, Christina, mm. last week, yes, it was a bit of a doozy. It was a doozy. There was a lot of blood. There was a lot of blood. We left off on November 21st, 1975, when Butch DeFeo was found guilty on yep. six accounts. Not accounts, just six counts. <laughs> on six counts of second-degree murder, and right. he was sentenced to uh, uh, 25 years to life. Six sentences, 25 years to life. And then he changed his story about... 12 times 12 times (laughs) and you know in that story there was a lot of um misconception there's a lot of lying Mm -hmm. and we're not gonna lose a little bit of that because a lot of today's episode um is up for debate and um all the information from today comes from the 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 famous I, i mentioned it in the first episode the amityville horror which is a book by american author jay anson it was published in september of 1977 there's uh, a ton of films based on the book. Um, it was published in. Okay, once again, if you if you haven't listened to the last episode, you would n- not it know was this. Published but, in 1977, so like two years after, uh, a year after. Yeah, that's what I'm puzzling at. The Lutz, the Lutz, um, the Lutz. Wow. Incident. So yeah, everything we're talking about today, um, that whole account was given to Anson, and then they, he published this book. Okay. Soon after. And um, yeah, it sparked a lot of controversy. It sparked a lot of films, way too many films. They're <laughs> not good films. Um, and so, you know, it's all been, it was released as a true story. If you look at the original cover, it says the Amityville Horror True Story. Mm-hmm. Um, over the years, it's been said that some of it has been sensationalized a bit for the book. And also some of it may not be true at all. Who knows? Interesting. But all the information comes from this book and the accounts of the Lutz family, as well as your interviews post, uh, post book and post moving out. So let's just get into yeah. it um, and, and and see where we are. Because like I said in the first episode, this is a tale of two stories. Right. This is not the story we heard last week. If you're tuning in today, 
you're kind of okay. Yeah. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you should, but you'll still survive. Yeah. And if the only thing you need to know is that somehow in all of my years, I've managed to avoid all spoilers <laughs> yeah, this is the- about Amityville. Knew nothing about anything that happened last week. I know only the term Amityville horror for this week and that I'm going to be very upset by the end of this. That, that That's all That's all I know. Chances are, chances are, like, are likely. <sighs> chances are incredibly likely. All right, so the characters in the story are George and Kathleen Lutz and their children. The, the, the children were for Kathy's previous marriage. Mm-hmm. There's Daniel, who's nine, Christopher, who's seven, and Melissa, also known as Missy, who is mm-hmm. five. Now, during the summer of 1975, the Lutzes went to visit 112 Ocean Avenue, and this is soon after the the conviction of, of Butch. Right. Um, this is not too far, so it's you know it's well known what's happening here. So they move into the house knowing full well what just happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. George said the following in a 2005 interview. He said, "Quote: When the realtor showed it to us, she said, I don't know if I should tell you now or after you've seen the house, but this was the house that the DeFeo murders took place in.'" <laughs> We kind of looked at each other like we weren't sure what she was talking about. And then she reminded us about Ronald DeFeo having killed his whole family. It had been in newspapers about a year before. After taking time to discuss the matter with their kids, George and Kathy decided to purchase the house. Mm-hmm. They bought it for a bargain price of $80,000. Oh, wow. Because, you know, it's a murder house. It's a murder house. It's a it's now, a murder house in the seventies. Yeah, and look, it's a five bedroom Dutch colonial style house with a swimming pool and a boathouse located by the water, like right by the canal. Wow. It's a really big bargain. Eighty yeah, thousand dollars for this good. huge house. Even in the seventies, yeah. Yeah, even the seventies it's it's a bargain. Um but you know, it's a murder house and so I, I I think they deserve a bargain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly shocked that it's sold. So the Lutz family was set to move in on December 18th, 1975. Oh, just a time for Christmas. Yeah, and much of DeFeo's furniture was still in the house. Oh, um, boy. It was included for $400 as part of the deal. So they also got to keep a lot of... Oh, I've got feelings about a that. A lot of That's couches. horrible. The table that they sat at during the the, invest- during the interrogation. Why would they want it? I don't know, man. They're like, oh, I guess we'll Why would they want their- it? I don't know. We'll keep all their shit. That's weird. Well, that's real weird. I don't tell you. Don't keep murder house furniture. Don't keep murder house furniture. If we can leave you with one bit of advice here on the New York Mystery Machine, don't, don't leave, leave murder, house, murder furniture. house furniture. So, due to the house reputation, a friend of George suggested that the house should be blessed by a Catholic priest. Good call. George was a non practicing Methodist, but knew a Catholic priest named Father Ralph J. Pecoraro or Father Ray, who agreed to carry the house blessing. Now, in the Anson book, Father Ralph is referred to as Father Mancuso for privacy reasons. Nah. I'm going to refer to him as, private, uh, as Father Father Ray because that's what they call him. Okay. And now it's not so private anymore. People know. Right. So I'm just going to call him by, by his real name or his <laughs> nickname, really, I guess. <laughs> George called, um, George recalled that Father Ray went into the house and blessed it. And after he was done, George tried to pay him, but he wouldn't take the money. Father Ray was like, no, you don't charge for this. And you don't charge friends for this. What a guy. Friends don't charge friends to, for exorcisms. For exorcisms on their homes. <laughs> it's just common courtesy. Right. Father Ray also said the following to George, quote, You know, I felt something really strange in that one upstairs bedroom. The room he was describing had been planned to be a sewing room. Father Ray said, that's good. As long as no one sleeps in there. Oh, oh Father Ray. What you doing? Immediately after moving in, strange shit started to happen throughout the house. There was the normal haunting type things. You know, during that first week, there was cold spots, scents in various locations. Uh, Mm -hmm. One particular was uh, on the staircase. George constantly felt a cold spot there. There would be odd sounds coming from around the house as well. But most odd was that George would start hearing noises, triggering him to mysteriously wake up at 3.15 a.m. every night. Oh, interesting. 3.15 a.m. 3.15 a.m. happened to be the estimated time of the death of DeFeo's parents. That's what I was going to say. George would see shadows outside of his window. Oh, no. He would follow where they led, and it was always the boathouse, whose door was always mysteriously unlocked and swung open. George would say that it wasn't always sounds that woke him up. Sometimes his body just sprung up. But again, always at 3.15 a.m. Hate that. And this is consistent. The entire length of the stay there, George would wake up every single night, 3.15 a.m. 
every single night. I cannot emphasize this enough. Do not move into, move into murder houses. Do not keep murder house furniture. So that 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 that, that that's what, that. that's what you're pulling from this so far. Yes, <laughs> yes. Not not to victim blame here, but you can't keep the furniture because then you start waking up at the time that everybody was murdered. Well, there it is. As the month continued, the noises and the atmosphere started to take their toll on the family. It has seemed to affect George the most, but these changes seemed odd in nature. They weren't that of someone scared or annoyed, which he was, both, but actually personality changes as well. He began to seclude himself from his family, obsessed over the fireplace that never seemed to warm him up. Um, he would walk around with a with a blanket on him because he was never warm, and then he'd sit in front of the fire, still wearing that blanket, not not oh, warm wow. enough. So he's not warm. You're not warm. I need more fuel for this fire. I'm not warm. Wow. During the day, Kathy would find him staring at the boathouse for periods of ten to fifteen minutes before walking back into the house. But this is, wasn't a George thing. Kathy also began to undergo a series of unnerving events as well. In fact, on more than one occasion, she described being touched by an unseen person. Mm-mm. Just randomly, whether it be on the staircase, whether it be just in the bedroom, uh, lots of touching. Mm-mm. And no one likes to be touched. Mm-mm. You know, I think ghosts need to also realize that um, consent is important. <laughs> keep your hands to yourself, Just ghost. keep your hands to yourself, ghost. Just be like, hey, hey, hey. If you want to... Have the have the audacity for a full body apparition. Yeah, I know it takes a lot of energy, but full body, uh, you know, apparate and say, "Hey, do I have your consent to touch you?" Right, it's just cool. like your shoulder or like your hair. Alternatively, I just want to make it clear to any ghost listening tonight that uh, I I don't consent to anything. I don't oh, want no to see consent. you. I don't want to know you. That's I don't good want, to know. Just, you you go. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if uh, you tell him that's gonna help it. Uh, <laughs> So George became irritable and Kathy began to feel similarly, resulting in the two of them to also start being their children on the first week of the house, mm-hmm. um, which is something they claim they never did. They never beat their kids. Yeah. Um, you know, that's you. Sure. Right. You know, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you say so. It's really rough to. Blame. I mean, it's really it's really bold to blame a house on the reason why you blame why you start being your kids. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> But the children's, the children's, the, <laughs> the children also weren't safe from the horrors of their parents or that of the house itself. The kids began to argue more and more, and then all of a sudden, one day, early on, Missy, the youngest, described speaking to an angel that was living in her room. This angel, Missy claims, was named Jody. And Jody was able to present itself as a large pig to Missy and change shape and form at will. Oh, no. Oh, Jody. A large pig. Hate that. This is not the, the last time we'll, we'll, we'll get to talk about Jody. Uh, I know that's upsetting. We don't want to talk about Jody. But what? That, it's a Twin Peaks reference. That's David Bowie. David Bowie doesn't want to talk about it's fine about who judy it sounds like jody oh, but it's not i know i know it's jody but do you know i do but it's I'm, important for you to know that it's jody i know it's jody this <laughs> this is important for you, you should watch some twin peaks adam i don't even know what twin peaks are what how many peaks are there are they twin are they triplet peaks are they quadruplet peaks i hate you so much what's the x-files um <laughs> also during the first week there are odd smells all around the house most of them smelling like perfume. Mm. However, the toilets had started to fill with some sort of black gunky material oh, no. that started to stain the toilet. And they, they were like this. Well, it's not poop. <laughs> like we know that it's, it's <laughs> gunky and it's black and it's gross, but it's not feces. Mm-hmm. Now, again, all this is week one stuff. So oh, already God. we have. Um, personality changes. Yep. We have waking up at three fifteen. Yep. We have Jody the large pig. <laughs> we have the gunk in the in the toilet. We have the cold spots. We've got we fighting. Have fighting. We have kid beating. We have a lot. And this is week F and one. This is the first week there. of being there. Um, so if you're familiar with the film, when the priest blesses the home, a ton of flies appear and attack him. Mm. This didn't happen. Okay. This was this was made up. However. Towards the end of the first week, Kathy went to her sewing room, the one that Father Ray warned her right. about, and found the window was covered with flies. Nope, 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 nope. And nope, so nope, she nope. called George and she was like, look at these fucking flies 
oh, I'm going to do these flies. And so, like, George had, like, scrape all the flies off the window. Hate that. No one wants to scrape flies. I'm not sure if they were dead or, but they were just there. I have lived something similar with flies. What? Uh, I have lived something similar <laughs> with flies. Listen to the things you say. <laughs> I have lived something similar with flies. I'll explain. When I was in grad school, just before we left, um, there was just a sudden, like out of nowhere, we looked up and the window was just cover- covered with flies and we, we couldn't kill them. It, it was it was like as soon as he hit one, like two more would spawn. Um, and eventually Ed had to, we had our ca- a cat staying with us at the time and we had to uh, get like a mentholated little peppermint thing. But the problem was, because it was, you know, friendly for the cat, but the problem was you had to spray it for five seconds on each fly, but flies, you know, fly away anyway i've lived this it's horrible but not a not demon fly i hope not i'm beginning to wonder now there was also weird stuff dripping from our ceiling just before we moved i'm beginning to wonder if that was just a demon apartment oh yeah i think things are coming together in my mind yeah you don't want to get to later in 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 the story oh god we'll get there one night george woke up at 3 15 in the morning classic george classic george um to a large sound this time, when he went to investigate, the 250-pound front door that was made of solid wood was busted open. Mm. And not like someone kicked it open. It was off of its hinges. Oh. Like something huge had to rip it off its hinges. The repairman who came to fix it mentioned that he had also fixed the Feo Boathouse door as well. So either there's something happening that's mm-hmm. really spooky, or he's a really shitty repairman. Right. It could go either way. Who <laughs> just doesn't know how to we repair don't it? Don't know. <laughs> it's like yeah, I was I repaired the boathouse. Well, the boathouse, the boathouse. That's who. <laughs> Do you not know how to repair doors? Should I find <laughs> yeah, someone new? New, new repairman time. Again, yeah, new task rabbit. <laughs> One morning, Kathy woke up and went to check on the kids to find them all sleeping, facing down. Oh no! Which was a very scary moment because it was pretty famous how the Theo murders. Uh, went down. If you were familiar, if you remember last week, uh, after Butch killed his family, he he took all the siblings and placed them all facing down on their stomachs. Um, so Kathy woke up. She went to check on the kids, and she saw them all facing down, and she freaked the f out. Yeah. Um, in addition, they heard from Father Ray. Finally, he informed them that he had been sick ever since he blessed the home. He said that every single night since he left, he's had nightmares about the sewing room. George and Kathy were like, huh, funny you should mention the sewing room because last week it was filled with flies. Right. And then they asked what they should do about the room. And before he can answer, the line filled with static and the call ended. Eek. I was like, what should we do? He goes, I think. Oh, I hate that. Beep. 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 Remember when phones used to beep? I remember that. Beep, beep. Yeah. That's how you knew someone was busy. Yeah. Or, or was this off the hook? Or off the hook. Yeah. And so um, they couldn't they couldn't get in touch with them after that for like a while. Like they kept trying to call back and it wasn't. Me, I, maybe That's when you drive over. Well, maybe he was. Maybe they're both trying to call each other at the same time and they kept hearing that. Fair. Somewhere. That could be it. That happened Perfectly so normal. Times. All the time. Remember in the 90s, you call someone, you'd be like, oh, God, no, don't. Right. don't I'm, I'm calling you. Don't, you right. call, don't call me back. I'm calling you back. And there was no like voicemail right. on their landline. So like you weren't. Uh, and definitely not if you were, uh, if, if your phone was just busy, then yeah. you did, never went to voicemail. No, there it, was no such yeah. thing as that. Didn't do it. So during the first month, it also seemed that the house was pulling the family closer to it. George would say in an interview, quote, I just didn't want to leave the house. Mm. We would invite people over instead of going to see them. Mm-mm. There came a point when we would invite people over to see whether we were crazy or not. Because when our friends sat in the kitchen, they could hear the people walking around upstairs after the kids had been put to bed. We'd all go up and find the kids fast asleep. There was no way it was the kids. And when your friends confirm that for you, you almost want to break down and say out loud, I'm not crazy. They hear it too. Mm-hmm. That is such an emotional moment when someone else confirms for you that what you're hearing and that's it's it's not you hearing it. It's not your imagination. End quote. They need to get out of there. No, if only. According to the Anson book, it was during this time that George began to want to figure out what was actually happening in the house and why. He would head to the local library to pick up, to look up the DeFeo murders and maybe try to find something there. From there, he went to the Amityville Historical Society to find more information on the house itself. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a false fact going around that 
he discovered the house was built on a Shinnecock Native American burial ground. Right. That's untrue. Right. What he found out was that it was built on an own Shinnecock enclosure for the sick, mad, and dying space. Oh. People were, quote unquote, penned up there on location until they died of exposure, but they were not buried there. He said because the Shinnecocks believed the land was infested with demons. <laughs> Interesting. I've never heard this about the Shinnecock. Well, here's the I'm thing. suspicious. Here's the thing. It's also been very disputed okay, by many yeah. historians and said to be uh, included in the book to add sensationalism. Um, and it reeks of our old friend um, Hans Holzer, who we're going to mm. talk about mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, well, well, colonialist. Yeah. And also, mm-hmm. it's also, we're going to find out later on that, that we also think it's not, that's not even the right tribe that was on that land to right. begin with. Right. So, New Year's Eve would bring uh, one last haunting in 1975. Mm-hmm. George and Kathy claimed that on New Year's Eve, they would be sitting in their den mm-hmm. in front of the fire, which was never hot enough. Which was enough. never hot enough. It's never hot Just enough. Just freezing in front of the fire. Fucking so cold <laughs> on New Year's Eve. And they saw a horned demon oh, no. in their fire Tell as me they Jody. waited for midnight. Um, uh, eventually, the horned demon would just dissipate and fall into ash. They immediately headed for bed, but all of a sudden, within the hour, a gust of wind blew every door and window open, except Missy's door. Oh, no. You know, where Jody liked to hang out. Oh, no. George claimed that he opened the door of Jody's room, because everything else was open, yep. but that wasn't was. And uh, she, he looked and saw that her rocking chair in the corner was creaking mm-mm, back slowly. Mm-mm, just <laughs> The next morning, George went outside and then noticed something really startling. Cloven hoof prints mm. around the perimeter of, of the house. Jody. <laughs> oh, Jody. You don't know, girl. As the new year began, there was no ease in the haunting. George would smell awful scents that he described as human excrement. Mm. Um, also, back in 1975, there was a large lion statue that had fallen on Kathy. Oh. Um, afterwards, George had put it in the sewing room. He's like, I don't know what the statue's doing, but... Don't put it in the... We're going to put it in the sewing room because we're not going to go in the sewing room. We don't need the sewing room. Let's sure. put it in the sewing room. Well, one night, he's trying to find out what this gross smell is he's like is this poop what is this is it flesh i don't know what this is he's looking everywhere and he goes down to the basement and he starts to look for it and doesn't really find the root of the smell um but when he comes back upstairs the lion statue's back in its original spot nope 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 out of the sewing room in the original and it's not something that like kathy could have just done herself sure and she also said it wasn't me but the kids couldn't have done it it was really Mm -hmm, heavy mm -hmm. um now if you think Things are weird. If you think they're insane, they're going to get crazy. I hate it. One evening, guess what happened? The pig showed up. Well, no, we're not there yet. (laughs) One night, George woke up, and guess what time he woke up at? 3.15. You know he did. And he ended up investigating some more strange sounds. Uh Uh-huh. When he got to the bedroom, he found Kathy. Uh Uh-huh. Still unconscious, but floating about two feet in the air. Ooh. He's like, all right, let me just fucking pull her down or something. <laughs> he, he does. I like this very calm version of George. Oh, God. Oh, my wife is fucking floating. I don't know what else to do. About Not now, shit. Kathy. So I guess we'll just have her come down. <laughs> Two days later, it happens again. Only this time, George wakes up and immediately notices it. So mm-hmm. he, he, the last time he got up and he walked around, he came back to the bedroom floating. This time he wakes up, he looks to his left or right. However, floating. I don't know how they sleep. Um, <laughs> you don't know them. <laughs> floating. And um, he goes to pull her down, and when he pulls her down, he notices that her face had turned into that of an old hag. Ooh. It was her, but, like, aged rapidly. Ooh. They said it took hours for it fully to dissipate. The face did rather quickly go back to looking young again, but the deep lines where the wrinkles were took a while to soften. Weird. Very weird. No one wants to look like... An old hag. No, no. I'll be beautiful once. <laughs> that's an evil. That's, that's army of darkness reference for you. That's an army of darkness reference. Okay, I, the, I don't know army. Of darkness. Well, yeah. If you're out of the Evil Dead or Army of Darkness, you no, wouldn't I, know. I don't know if you've picked up on anything, but I tend to avoid that kind of thing. And yet you. Watch, and yet here I am. And you watch X Files. Yes, true. 
And Twin Peaks. And Twin Peaks. I don't know what those are. How do you not know Twin Peaks? I know what it, I know it exists. I've never seen it. It's very good. On January 8th, Kathy's brother, Jimmy, and his wife, Carrie, came to visit. Because, you know, that's what, what you want at, but, what at, better your, time? at your haunted house. Um, and, of course, it didn't end well. At 3.15, guess what happened? Does George wake up? <laughs> Carrie woke up. Oh! But don't worry. George, George also, also woke, woke up. up. <laughs> but Carrie woke up at 3.15 in the morning, and she began screaming wildly, causing the entire causing the entire house to go, what's going on? Right. They all, everyone wakes up because she's screaming, she's screaming, they all run to her. Gosh. And she says that she saw a, a, a little sickly looking boy at the end of her bed asking for help. Oh. She said the little boy asked where Missy and Jody were. Oh, oh. Mm. After this, George and Kathy began to march around the house, reciting the Our Father. Yep, that was a good move. Like, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's like they had them just marching they had from a cro- They room. had a cross in their hand. It's literally what you would do. Yeah, no, yeah. Cross in hand, yep. crucifix in hand, shouting the Our Father. Yep. Now when they get to the living room, there was like a hum that they started to hear as they're as they're as as, as they're, they're shouting, they're shouting it. And the hum starts to grow a little bit and mm. grow a little bit more. And then the hum starts starts to sound like more voices and more voices. And eventually all of these voices swell into an audible voice screaming, Will you stop? Ooh. And they're like, I guess we should no, that's when you don't stop. I don't know if they stopped or not. I guess they stopped. It seems like it's working. The day after Jimmy and Carrie leave. You're not going to want to hear this. Uh, George finds green slime oozing from the walls and ceilings. Uh, now, now George. At least it wasn't orange. My stuff was orange. I mean, it's still not a normal color. It's still not a normal color, but maybe it's different. Maybe it's not a demon. Maybe it's just now, bad piping. I'm sure George did something that you didn't do. Mm. George would claim it looked like green jello, but didn't taste like it. <laughs> now you say to yourself, what do you mean didn't taste like it? George put his finger in it and dabbed it in his mouth. George. George. That is such a Mulder move. But George, George, what are you doing? There is God, green George. slime oozing from your walls. And you were like, you know what I should do? Just, just to, make sure it's not jello. Just make sure it's not jello. I'm hungry. Because if it's jello, I'm not sure if this is the problem. Right. Maybe a solution. <laughs> if it's not jello, this is a problem. This is a problem. <laughs> so he, he takes a little, a little, a little taste. A little taste. Not, and it's not. He's like, this is not, this is not jello. What did it taste like? I, don't know. I feel like you should have you know told us more about that. Yeah. So the, in the future, when we have things oozing out of our walls, we can determine whether or not it's the same kind of not jello. Now the next day, Kathy wakes up and she's covered in red welts oh, all over her entire no. body, and um, she calls her mom to come check on her. And uh-huh. Her mom's like, "I'm coming, baby. Here I come. Here's mama. Come to the haunted and house." And when her mom gets there, she touches the welts and the welts were hot like they felt like yeah. fire um but soon after her mom got there and started touching the welts they started to dissipate off of her skin interesting um on january 11th so we are just now a few weeks a few weeks in right they, they got in on december 18th so it's not even a month it's now january 11th oh they gotta move and um things are starting to to reach a fever pitch. Would you stick it out this long? No, I'd have been gone by that. Yeah, okay, good. Just clarify. I don't know. That was going to be my question to you. My, my question to you was like, in their journey, like knowing all, knowing everything that's happened so far with them and not, we haven't even hit the fever pitch yet. What, when you, when was it, when's you, when are you leaving? That was the words. When were you leaving? I'm leaving. I'm leaving definitely once a horned demon shows up in my fireplace um that's, that's later than i than i would even I, I i was gonna say that's at the, the that is the absolute breaking point i probably would have left as soon as um my daughter starts talking about jody and i'm already being weird and my yeah, wife's being i'm weird. also i think twofold i think that um Sometimes you can't notice when like your 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 mood changes. I guess yeah. so. I wouldn't know that clock it, but like when the front door is ripped off the hinges. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. No, for that's me, a big... like that's not even like that's almost like a even if it's not like demonic or anything. It's like that just seems like 
this is not a safe place to be. Right. Someone's yeah. ripping doors I forgot off about that. Correct. Um, but yeah, and then seeing my wife float in the air, right. that would do it for the, me. Absolutely not. Um, honestly, Missy keeps talking about Jody. Uh, We're going to get to Jody in just oh, a quick second. Because on January 11th, George wakes up from a nap and he has this feeling that there's rain on him. And he has that feeling because there's, in fact, rain on him. Oh. All the doors and windows are open again. Doors were not just open. They were ripped off the hinges again, just like it was Damn that earlier. Damn that repairman. <laughs> Now, the same day, Missy brought George upstairs to meet Jody finally. Oh, God. So, George and Kathy, they go up the stairs and, like, here's Jody, and they can't see Jody. Oh, that's not good. And so, she's right there, and they can't see it. And finally, they look, and they, they look in her window, and they see these two red eyes peering in at them. Eek. And Missy was like, Jody wants to come inside. Now, Kathy, straight up baller, takes like one of her chairs or furniture pieces, like her toy furniture, yeah. throws it out the window and shatters the window. She's like, get out of here, eyes. I appreciate that bravery, and yet I'm also now worried that has made it easier for Jody to enter the room. I don't think so. I think it's more of a, if Jody can enter the room, which I think she can, mm. because she was in, she's seen her before, Right, that's true. It would be... She clearly isn't made of material. <laughs> so she could, I see. I see your point. I see the logic it's like, here. It's like vampires have to be invited invited in. in. Okay. Well, but I don't think that's the case. I think Jody just wanted to come in and maybe just want her permit, parents' permission to play, which I think is very courteous on I, Jody's part. I I think you're expressing a lot of can Jody gentility come? to this <laughs> pig demon. Also, I just want to point out that this was a wonderful opportunity for a little uh, Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights, Kathy oh, with the window. And yeah. The, anyway. Um. So she breaks the window, I guess like tapes over it. <laughs> the next night, Kathy finally asks Missy about Jody. And she's like, all right, we have to have a real conversation about who this like weird. Have you been pig inviting demon. pig demons into your room? And okay, so she's like, so Missy tells, tells her that Jody tells her that a little boy used to live in her room, but he died. Oh. And she says that Jody is going to live there forever so that she can play with the little boy. Well, on January 13th, 1976, George tries to get his family to flee the fucking house. Yeah, it's about time. It's the night. He's like, we gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. Get your shit. We're going. Now, there's a rainstorm that night. Classic. <laughs> and after trying for a while to, to leave, they're, they're in the car and the engine doesn't start. Engine doesn't start. Engine doesn't start. Eventually, it just doesn't work. And so... Now they're stranded. They're stranded. So they go back into the house. Can't they walk somewhere? I would walk. Start walking. I would, Here it is, you guys. It's going to be an adventure, everyone. It's a fun time. We're going to walk to some other place that's not yeah, this house. Yeah, right. Um, but they don't. So they go back into the house for what would be their final night in the house. So in the final act of terror, George says this, quote, I was lying in bed and everyone was asleep. And Kathy lifts off the bed and starts to slide away from the bed and away from me. I feel something get into bed with us. Mm-mm. I'm unable to move. I hear the kids' bed continuously slamming up and down the floor and being dragged. Oh, no. We heard these pigeons on the air conditioner top overhead from the master bedroom, and they're fluttering all night long, and yet there's no pigeons there the next morning, or any nest or anything. The lights flickered. We brought the dog up to stay right by the bedroom. We tied him right to the doorknob, and he's up, going in circles and throwing up all night. The boys came down in the morning, absolutely frightened. They were unable to get down to me, and I was unable to get to them. Missy came in and asked what that all was about, and Kathy had no memory of it at all. Eek. The Lutzes finally fled the house on January 14th, 1976, 28 days after they arrived. I think that is a great time to take a break. Okay. I'll be right back. If you ever look at our logo, you may notice a cute, furry, black and white creature hanging out the window. That's Ted. (laughs) 
when he's not hanging out inside the New York Mystery Machine, Ted is enjoying treats from BarkBox. BarkBox is the dog-obsessed company that's devoted to one goal, making dogs happy. It's a monthly subscription, totally customized box of themed toys and treats for your furry friends. BarkBox provides the best products, services, and content for pups and their people. Every box brings your dog more than $40 worth of toys and treats. Your first box ships immediately. Plus, BarkBox offers a 100% happy guarantee. If your pup isn't happy with their BarkBox, they'll work to make it right. So are you ready to spoil your pup with a BarkBox of their very own? If so, head over to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine. If you use our exclusive link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox valued at $35 when you sign up for multi-length plans. Oh, okay, okay, Tedward. I'll say it again for them. Head to www.barkbox.com slash nymysterymachine and get your pup some treats today. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. Okay, we are back. Well, that was a journey. That was horrible. Oh, those Lutzes. I'm fascinated by the fact that Missy seems wholly unaffected by everything. Yeah, she's like, I'm cool. I'm going to miss Jody. Yeah. (laughs) My my best pig. (laughs) Oh, some pig. Jody's my best pig. Right? But like, she doesn't see what everyone's fussing about the next morning. Yeah, she's like, what's going she on, She just guys? wants to introduce everybody to Jody. But they're like, we gotta go. It's, it's weird. Like, it's real weird. So now, it's time to figure out what the fuck was happening in that house. Mm-hmm. So after fleeing on January 14th, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz, with the assistance of Channel 5 News assistant Laura DiDio, contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren, a husband and wife team of self-proclaimed demonologists. Hmm. You may be familiar with the Warrens because they were famous for investigating The Conjuring House in Rhode Island. Okay. so if I managed you, to avoid that one, too. Yeah, have you ever heard of the movie The Conjuring? There's a movie called The Conjuring, okay. which is based on this house in Rhode Island. It's okay. Big, and there's also books about it. It's a whole... It's a whole thing. I'm so glad we do a paranormal podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with this very famous paranormal case? No. No. I no, don't. no. There's a level of uh, frightening that I do not touch. That's fair. It's another scary, scary... Um, we can't do it, though, because it's not New York-based, unless... Road trip, road trip. <laughs> So the Warrens first enter 112 Ocean Avenue on February 24th, 1976. It's about a month yeah. and change after the Let's Leave. Lorraine Warren described, quote, an overwhelming sense of sadness and depression throughout the entire home. Go figure. There was a multiple homicide. Yeah. After How about Deanna Troy gone? After entering the basement, uh, Ed felt a powerful, inhuman presence. Mm. In an interview, he recalled, quote, It was as if I was standing underneath a waterfall and the pressure was driving me down to the floor. Mm. And I commanded, in the name of Jesus Christ, what was there to reveal its identity? I understood right at that point what we were dealing with was not a ghost. This was no ordinary haunted house. It was Jody. After conducting their initial investigation, the Warrens put together a group of professional psychics to assist with them in their findings. The Channel 5 News team, consisting of Marvin Scott, Steve Petropoulos, and Laura DiDio, covered the Warrens' investigation on the night of March 6, 1976. A friend of the Warrens, Mary Pascarella, traveled along to the house during the March 6 investigation. Mary considers herself a time walker. What is that? A time walker is a person who's able to sense and sometimes visualize past events in a particular location. Okay. So like they they can in a spot and they can see something that happened in that. It's space. like visually time traveling. Yeah, but like physically you're you're there. You're still here. Yeah, yeah. you're having visions, but okay. live on the spot. 
Um, Mary said, quote, I began to say my prayers, and as I was saying the Our Father, I looked out the door. And as I was saying the Our Father, there was a group of figures saying the Our Father backwards. Weird. I'm like, amen, evil. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to. Backwards like that or backwards like it would be? With all the letters in Oh, I don't know. Nema. Nema. Oh, I don't know. Live. That's so much work. So that's much a lot work. of work. I couldn't for even anyone. do two words. For anyone, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Mary was not the only person who experienced strange events that night. The Channel 5 cameraman, Steve Petropolis, reported suffering a rash of heart palpitations and shortness of breath while climbing the staircase. He also noticed the cold spot that George had mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, being very, very, very cold on the staircase. Yeah. During the first seance, Mary Pascarella also became ill and was ushered out of the room. Quote, there seems to be some kind of black shadow that forms ahead and it moves, Mary claimed. As it moves, I feel personally threatened. Mm. Another psychic, Alberta Riley, made similar claims during the seance as well. The rain said, quote, whatever is here, in my estimation, most definitely of a negative nature. It has nothing to do with anyone who had ever walked the earth in human form. It is right from the bowels of the earth. Whatever is here is able to move around at will. It doesn't have to stay here, but I think it's a resting place. Mm. So according to Lorraine, she doesn't think it's like the ghosts of the, the slaughtered DeFeo right. family. She thinks it's something that does not belong to this world. Right. Um, whether demonic or... Extraterrestrial. Yeah, you know, I was knows. gonna say there is some some uh, some parallels to abduction scenarios. Yeah. But go on. The Warrens felt the house could only be saved through a cleansing performed by an Anglican exorcist or a Roman Catholic exorcist or any of the exorcists. <laughs> George and Kathy let's say say they were just not willing to take on that responsibility. They didn't want to go back to the house. Yeah, they that's fair. They didn't want it to be fixed, so they were like we can't risk our kids and our, our, our well-being, so we're just not going to do it. And so they're like, no, we're not going to hire anyone else to come through. Kind of a weird choice. How, they could just let them do whatever they want and then never move back anyway. But that's just on there. But they don't want they don't want responsibility for having to find the exorcist or talk to the exorcist, let them in Seems the Seems like this seance collective should have been able to help them with that. Yeah, Maybe. Right? Shouldn't they be like providing like, hey, here's a list of... I think it was more of a, they don't want to come back to the house anyway, so why is this of concern to us? Like this means that we have... Go for your fellow man, Lutzes. I don't know. No, no. Stop it, Christina. You think after everything that happened, if everything that happened to them happened to you, you'd be like, let me worry about the other people moving. No, you'd be like, sorry, I don't want to talk about this ever again. (laughs) I would rest better knowing that I had an exorcist go. I'm going to move to like... A church in Rome and just live there for now. <laughs> in January 1977, Hans Holzer, who we've met many times the in, infamous. in season one, and his spiritual medium, Ethel Myers, entered 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. Myers is the one to have claimed that the house had been built over an ancient Native American burial ground hmm. and the angry spirit of a Shinnecock Indian chief named Rolling Thunder had possessed a previous occupant, Ronald DeFeo Jr., also known as Butch, driving him to murder his family. I call bullshit. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think we all generally call bullshit on that. Yeah. Um, stop blaming Native Americans. Gosh, seriously. They don't give a shit about you. Right. They they, they are not possessing you for fun. They, they I, mm, I, they're, mm. It's so problematic. Stop casting aspersions it's here. It's so problematic to be like, well, it's probably over Native American burial ground. Just that. Just has, and also has to be Native American. It hasn't, right, right. It can't just be white people burial ground because white people do a lot of shitty things. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big way. <laughs> Photographs were taken at the scene and revealed curious anomalies such as halos, which appeared in the supposed images of bullet marks made in the original 1974 murders. Uh-oh. Holzer's claim that the house was built on an Indian sacred land was denied by the local Amityville Historical Society. And it was pointed out that it was the Montaukett Indians and not the Shinnecocks who had been the original settlers in that area. Mm-hmm. So also you didn't even know like the tribe. Yeah, they're there. just making shit up right there. Making shit up. It's an easy scapegoat. Holzer went on to write several books about the subject, both fiction and nonfiction, because everyone wants to get a buck off of something haunted. (laughs) And so also it's important to note that as we're continuing in this journey in this episode, all the information that we got, a lot of it, you know, most of it's from this book. 
and I mentioned earlier it, yeah. you know, in the book it says that you know that he um, that uh, George finds this article about the Native right. Americans when clearly it's not clearly right. it's, what's it's, her face it's Ethel Myers talking about it. and so I, there is a lot of discrepancy sure but this was if the Lutzes. They returned the property to Columbia Savings and Loan on August 30th, 1976. They moved and never went back. Smart. Good. For 14 months after the Lutzes fled the house in Amityville, it stood empty. Then a family known as the Cromarties had moved into the house in the spring of 1977. No. Jim Cromartie, who moved into the house, would say the following, quote, uh, We moved in on April 1st. We were out here like a week and then came this good housekeeping article. And then we started to get a lot of visitors, mm. end quote. Because of course they did. Because everyone knows this crazy house and this right. crazy story. And then five months after that, Jay Anson publishes the book. Right. He written with their Let's Then Put, The Amityville Horror, which was called A Devil of a True Story <laughs> by a Los Angeles Times reviewer. That's very clever. I like that. The book swiftly hit the bestseller lists and stayed there for 42 weeks. Wow. By 1981, the book had gone through 37 printings and sold over 6.5 million copies. The film rights sold to Hollywood with Anson attached to write the screenplay. But as the phenomenon grew, there were two key doubting voices. Because as I researched this, I, I, I see many articles, and all these articles, again, everyone who lived there after like left quickly, left quickly, and that's all bullshit. Okay. Throughout the ownership of the house, which lasted a decade... Mm-hmm. Not there was not over turnover. People kept saying, "Oh, there's so much turnover." There's not. Okay, just one other family for ten years. Jim and Barbara Cromarty repeated repeatedly told the press they'd never seen anything unusual in the house. All right. Instead of spirits, the Cromartys complained that they were haunted by what could only be called paranormal tourists mm-hmm. who knocked on the door at all hours of the day and night. Right. These people sometimes called themselves witches. Sometimes they cursed out the Cromarties and told them that they would die. Oh. Sometimes they were drunk. And sometimes, as a family told Newsday in 1978, they were just odd. Jim said, quote, I think one of the funniest things was when we woke up at 3 o'clock and heard this guy with a bugle playing taps on the front lawn. I opened the window and applauded and said, kid, you've got a real good sense of humor. During their time in the house, they renovated to discourage the constant stream of gawkers. Yeah. The house facade has been altered. The evil windows mm. have been replaced. And it doesn't really look like it did for the murders or the original okay. hunting. Okay. So what happened to the Lutzes? Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine that most of them are still alive. Well, here's the thing. Before we can address what happened to them, we should ask a real question. Did they lie? Mm. Did, if nothing else happened afterwards, why would they lie? I mean, the kids alone would deal with these consequences. Right. So over the years, there's been some theories. And the first is just that. The couple risked their kids and their livelihood and their social status on a bizarre, previously unimagined get-rich-quick hoax, and that plot failed. It's one theory. Did it fail? Because they had a movie deal. I imagine they must get some of the royalties from that, no? No, they sold the, they sold the story to to. to, to oh, I assume they still had some rights to that. Yeah, I don't think they make money from it. They sold. They sold their story to Jay Ensign. I think he gets everything. Oh, hot now. shit! Okay. From what I think, if I imagine. Sure. The next is that the entire family was a victim of some previously undiagnosed case of mass hysteria or group delusion. Mm. Though there was no previous history of mental disorders in the adults, and no reported use of drugs or alcohol that may trigger such behavior. But they did move into a murder house. And the third is that the family was plagued by some unknown, unseen force that slowly drove them all to the brink of insanity mm-hmm. and ultimately forced them to flee, never to return. Then that entity that found them in Amityville, perhaps followed them across the country or even the world, who knows, mm-hmm. but they never really fully recovered. Mm. For the remainder of their lives, George and Kathleen Lutz maintained that their experiences in Amityville were in fact real. Mm-hmm. In 2000, Kathy would say, quote, some people have called our testimony about Amniaville a hoax. There is nothing that I can say to them. There's nothing I could show them that would be a new evidence that is the truth. It is the truth. It is my testimony. It is where it came from. And to judge others' testimony, not having experienced it, not having gone through it, or being touched by it, you don't have the right to. Hmm. Yours is just an opinion, and the opinion doesn't hold water. And in 2002, George would say this. It's my prayer that everyone in this room never go through such a thing. 
But if you know someone that does, the hardest thing for those people is the loss of being able to communicate with anyone else about it. Mm. Not being able to find anyone that can intelligently help them. It's not talked about. It's not understood. And when it happens to you, you become an alien to everyone else. Hmm. Kathy and George divorced in 1980 Hmm. and both have since passed away. Kathy died of emphysema in 2004 and George died of a heart disease in 2006. Mm. Their children have tended to shy away from the spotlight, of course. Um, Specifically their daughter, Missy. Missy has never taken any interviews. Um, However, Daniel Lutz appeared in the 2013 documentary My Amityville Horror Mm -hmm. and remained adamant that the hauntings did in fact happen. Okay. However, the other son, Christopher Quarantino, claimed to the Seattle Times that although the book was not a hoax, it was extremely amplified. He regularly clashed with his stepfather and moved away from the family at age 16. Oh, interesting. The house at 112 Ocean Avenue has new owners after being bought in 2017 for $605,000. And that is the Amityville horror. The murder, the horror, and everything that came through. I have a theory. Sure. It's about why there was no more haunting after the Lutzes left, Mm -hmm. which is that um, I'm betting no one else kept the murder furniture. They're like, what is this? What is this fucking furniture down here? Yeah, you get rid of this furniture. Yeah, yeah. I'm standing by it. That well, that fair. was the root of this problem. Well, that's fair. Woo! I know. I'm gonna find that clip of uh, David Bowie talking about the demon Judy. Oh, thank God! I've been right. I, that's why I really <laughs> want. Well, if you have any theories about Amityville, both the murder by Butch and the hauntings of George, Kathleen, her family, their family. You know what to do. You head on over to iTunes or Spotify or Audible and you can just write those thoughts in the <laughs> comments. Give us five five stars and let us know what you thought of the episode, what, what you want to hear more of. At what point would you have moved out of the house? Also, uh, head on over to social media at NY Mystery Machine on, on uh, Instagram or Facebook or at NY Mysteries on the Twitter and uh, let us know what you think. You know that we post stuff all week long and when you guys comment on those things, we do read them and we do answer them. We also respond to our, our DMs. So if you want to slip yeah. into our DMs and, and message us, <laughs> go ahead and do it. Um, we will we will always answer uh, to the best of our abilities. And uh, if you have suggestions about what you want to hear on the show, also let us know. We, we had some just suggestions uh, just literally today. I was to- going to say, we got a message today, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, today just we had suggestions, so we're looking into it. So we're always happy to uh, to, to find some new New York mysteries. We're so excited. Thanks for taking part in this uh, this little two-parter. Uh, for our season two premiere. We're so excited to be back uh, with another all new episode, not just next week, but all these weeks. All these weeks. For, we are, we're all new way into the fall, from yeah. summer to fall. All new episodes. So stick with us. This is a crazy season. I've been Adam Mace. Thanks, Christina Marinelli. And thanks for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts, but absolutely not Judy. And not their furniture. <laughs> <laughs>